This is P.S. You're Wrong, the podcast where we talk trash about things people love to hate and hate to love. And this is Shelby and Matt, and we're on episode eight. We are back from a hiatus. I, know. I was on vacation. It was rough. I missed it. Ah, <laughs> thanks. I was in like the middle of the desert and had no internet connection. <laughs> I feel so disconnected from pop culture. I came back. The VMAs happened while I was gone. Yeah. I've been like frantically reading like recap things the last couple of days to oh, try yeah. to prepare for this podcast, but I feel like I'm probably woefully <laughs> behind. Well, I was keeping a list of everything interesting that happened, but then I feel like the news cycle is just so fast. A lot of it just feels dated and uninteresting now. So, so we'll see what sticks out. We'll see. It'll be a little grab bag of the last couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Little of this, little of yeah. that. Little taste here. But before we get started, uh, we have lots of social media platforms. Everyone should follow us on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. We have Gmail. All of it's P.S. You're wrong. We will, if you give us good comments, we will respond to them on the show, people. I know. I was excited to see if there would be one, but... Our listeners <laughs> haven't been churning out enough like reviews for us to talk about. So kind of disappointed in them. They need to like get on iTunes, scroll down, leave a review, you know, let us know what you think. Yeah. And if you do, then we will talk about you. You'll be famous. <laughs> yeah, it's there's not a, about there's us. There's a lot of high profile people who listen to this podcast. They could hear your comment. It could grab their attention. They could find you. You could be starring in yes. Crazy Rich Asians <laughs> 2. Oh, I can't wait. That's what I need. I want to be a part of that, but I don't think I'm, I qualify necessarily. But that's okay. You could probably play like a villain, maybe. Oh, yeah. Like the dumb... I could be the white girl that she beats in poker in the first four minutes and then <laughs> yes, <laughs> disappear. Yes. yes. <laughs> My big moment. But before we get into Crazy Rich Asians, I mean, we do have some news to catch you up on. So yes, I can start off since since, you know, you're a little out of the loop. Yes, yes. Give me, give me something good. <laughs> so the big thing that's been happening, I guess, is Nicki Minaj released her new album, Queen. And yes. there is a lot of drama revolving around this because Nicki Minaj never has, never runs out of things to say. And it was interesting because she felt really like flustered during this album release, which I don't know if you remember. It's kind of been like up and down on when she'd c- release it. It was pushed back. She took a poll on Twitter to figure out when she should release it, so on and so forth. And then suddenly it just dropped. And she was talking all about it and how great she is and, you know, just doing the classic, like, I'm the queen type thing. But then the problem was that the week, like, results came in and she was number two behind Travis Scott, which was Mm. actually surprising to me, too. But she was really upset about it and went on this, like, Twitter rampage where she was like, I put my blood, sweat, and tears into writing this dope album only for Travis Scott to have his girl Kylie post a tour pass telling people to come see her and Stormy. LOL. And I was like, oh, she was just trying to be, she was, she was pretty shady. She was just like, I mean, not even shady. She was very uh, aggressively open and honest about why she thought she was stiffed for this number one place. And so then they went to the VMAs and there was like, you know, they were supposed to sit by each other. Travis Scott and Kylie were sat right behind um, Nikki and Ariana, but they ended up moving seats mysteriously to avoid Ooh. any drama. And then 
Nikki went out later on Twitter and was like, LOL, guys, you take this too seriously. It's dry humor. I'm back here laughing. And she's just been like going back and forth, like hot and cold <laughs> on her Twitter, just trying to play it cool. Like she's not mad. But then she goes on rants about how no one, no female can keep up with her. Cardi B buys all her out label, buys all her numbers. And it's like, no one respects Nikki enough, blah, 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 Nikki, Nikki, Nikki. And it's just sort of like, frustrating because Nikki is talented and I think if she actually like accepted that she wouldn't come off so like I don't know like insecure in a way like she's just constantly like very anxious about how she's how she's doing how she's responding and she's not doing that well frankly so it's a little sad yeah yeah I feel like there's a couple things going on here first when Nikki came on the scene back what in like 2008 2009 I feel like right before I went to college she had this string of guest appearances on songs that went wild and became super popular and everyone was looking forward to her first album which came out to underwhelming success (laughs) and I think every single one of her albums since has kind of come out to like this tepid response where her singles do really well and her guest appearances do really well but she can't pull a full album together that people really resonate with. Yeah. And so I'm sure that coming into this album cycle, she was worried about that happening again. <laughs> and then also, like we talked about a couple weeks ago with Katy Perry and with Justin Timberlake, I feel like Nicki Minaj is sort of in that group of people who is like just a little old and mm. slowly <laughs> kind of getting pushed out of the scene. And she yeah. sees that happening to the other people who are in sort of her year of musical relevancy (laughs) yeah and and she's like oh crap if this has happened to other people i see cardi b coming up down the pipeline like i need to establish myself i need to show people that there's a reason why i'm still relevant and i'm not sure she did and then earlier before the album was released she had that song that came out that people were like is this a little racist this might be a little (laughs) racist so you know that is never a good ingredient to sprinkle in the soup and that didn't even make the final cut like that's what's crazy is her album has been like there have been so many ups and downs. She cut that song out. She decided after it was released to recut one of the songs on it because she wasn't happy with the sound. And it's like, well, why are you rushing? Like, what's happening? Like, it's just sort of messy. And then she was supposed to go on tour with someone. I forget who, but she decided to pull out last minute and was like, I just want to be able to give you guys the best show. And I know I don't have the time right now to do it. So she's just like, it does feel a little like, desperate in a way like she's just struggling to stay relevant or to you know stay on top and she's not really the numbers aren't on her side unfortunately yeah she did though switching topics to the vmas she did (laughs) win some vmas and also had some of the more iconic moments of the night where she was shading uh camilla cabello which I agree with her on oh, that yeah. front, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, you need to catch me up on this because I actually didn't watch. You know, I watched the VMAs for one person and one person only, and she was not in attendance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Taylor, 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 Taylor. <laughs> 
so the VMAs happened. I also did not watch them, but I've been reading up on all of these articles. And mm-hmm. I find the VMAs such an interesting award ceremony. Yeah. Really, I love all award ceremonies, but this is <laughs> this is a this has a particularly interesting vibe to it. And the fact that it's supposedly honoring music videos. Right. However, some strange people won this year. <laughs> Namely, Camila Cabello won oh, no. video of the year for Havana, which I rewatched yesterday <laughs> to be like, did I miss something here? And, nope. It's it's a hot mess of a music video. I have no idea how it won. Yeah, it's like it's cute or whatever. It's like I can see in another year why it would be more interesting. But it was it had such strong competition that it was like it had no business being up there. I just don't no. know why they loved it so much. The Carters were nominated for Ape Shit, which we've mm-hmm. talked about before. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And then you have Donald Glover, well, Childish right. Gambino, I guess, for This Is America, which is also yes. an amazing video. Those two videos should have won everything that they were nominated for. They should have been nominated for everything. I know. However, the Carters not only didn't win Music Video of the Year, they didn't even win Hip Hop Video of the Year. <laughs> really? Childish Gambino didn't win either of those, wasn't even nominated <laughs> for Hip Hop Video, it was nominated for Video with a Message, and did win that. <laughs> oh, but it's good. sort of like, like, what are these categories? Yeah. <laughs> so, I did some detective work and did some okay. digging. Oh, wow. Conspiracy theories. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> You're going to like this one. Okay. So... I was researching online and the nomination process for what gets nominated for the VMAs is very mm-hmm. shady. MTV okay. does it secretly. Nobody knows how it works. The like there's no rubric for it. You don't know who is like a member. Is it just oh. MTV that's picking? Like who is picking? Who is voting? Nobody has any idea. Then, once the nominees are announced, there's two different groups. There is a general group, which is, you know, video of the year, artist of the year, um, you know, the video of the year for all the specific groups like hip hop, country, Uh pop. And then there is also a group that is like a professional group, which is the awards for choreography, art direction. Uh, I think there's six, six of those awards that are these like more technical awards. And the technical awards are voted on by industry professionals. But again, a secret group, nobody knows who they are. The rest of the awards are voted on by the American public. So you can kind of see how, yeah, how these random things are winning these general awards because they're voted on by anybody who's just like sitting at a computer <laughs> somewhere. On like, Twitter, yeah. Like 100%, it's all 14-year-olds <laughs> voting for this. They don't understand why Ape yeah. is a better video than Camilla Cabello's. <laughs> but it's interesting because the Carters and Childish Gambino won five awards in that more professional uh, technical. technical section that's voted on by actual industry people, which makes Uh a lot of sense because those were the two best videos of the year. Right. Camila Cabello wins these awards that are (laughs) voted on by teenagers. Now, (laughs) you think to yourself, why would Camila Cabello be nominated or get all of these votes from, you know, random teenagers? Hmm. Who could she be on (laughs) tour with who wasn't nominated? Taylor Swift. 100% all of Taylor Swift's random (laughs) creepy stalker fans (laughs) voted for Camilla because Taylor Swift was not on the ballot. And 
I went back and did my research. The last mm-hmm. six times Taylor Swift has been nominated for an award in a category that people that random people can vote for, she has won. She has not lost a fan vote at the VMAs since 2013. Aww. So, therefore, Taylor Swift screwed up the VMAs <laughs> for all of us. Point well, made. No, the VMAs screwed it up by developing this weird voting system, and you can't prove that. So it's just, you know, that's your hot take. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean that makes sense, and that's always been the complaint: is like these awards tend to be more like about like it's a popularity contest, and it's not necessarily about the artistry anymore. And like Beyonce and Jay Z didn't even bother showing up, did they? Was Childish so. Gambino even there? I don't think so. I also it's don't like, think so. Yeah. It's like they just know like it doesn't like especially the VMAs. Like the Grammys also gets the similar complaints. But the VMAs is sort of like the the Nickelodeon Awards of music, isn't yes. it? Yes. <laughs> Teen like, choice. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, I guess, as you found out. So it is it isn't surprising necessarily that Camila won because who won last year? Wasn't it someone similarly like just so weird and dumb? Was it Ed Sheeran or was that the Grammys? <laughs> I think it was Ed Sheeran because then yeah. um, Bruno Mars won everything at the oh, Grammys last yeah, year. So yeah, I think yeah. it must have been Ed Sheeran. Oh, who also has the Taylor connection. Oh, my gosh. Yes. yes. Taylor is the VMAs. <laughs> yes. I mean, look at all of her crazy fans. You do a whole podcast about it. You cannot <laughs> tell know. me that those people are not the people who are like voting a thousand times on the internet. Yeah, no, because I'm... I know they're the people who are buying 13 <laughs> copies of the album and 17 friggin' snake sweaters to try to get boosted well, up to better concerts. No, seats. I agree. I believe you. But it's also like interesting because in and I guess, you know, we lost our we lost my Swiftish Twitter account. Somehow we were suspended. So I wasn't like mm. seeing a lot of this, but I didn't see anything on my feed before that about voting for Camila instead. I didn't even know you could vote for the VMAs. So I'm clearly out of the loop, but I am sure they were there. But it's also like Camila has her own crazy fans, like a very loyal stand base. And the, there's probably a lot of overlap, but it's also like she has attracted a lot of tweens and teens of her own to to vote and vote aggressively. So, you know, <laughs> it's not just the Taylor Swift fans. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm st- the Camilla thing still mystifies me. Why I does know. anybody like her? She was like horrible to the people in Fifth Harmony. She left. She's pretty also, she's only she won Artist of the Year, and she and I was like, does she have a lot of songs that I did not realize she had? No, she had two. She had Havana <laughs> and one other song. That was it. She was up against yeah. Cardi B, who was frigging in 50 songs this year. Like, I don't understand <laughs> how that happened either. But I was also looking online, and there's a weird clause in the voting bylaws for these <laughs> oh, awards. Yes, I did not find this, yeah. but there was an article about it. <laughs> oh, okay. That says that in there somewhere that basically MTV has the right to not listen to whatever the votes are and give the award to whoever they want which that i'm sure plays so into funny. the fact of like who is going to be at the ceremony if someone's not there right. they're not going to give them the award but i thought this was particularly interesting because jennifer lopez who was given the vanguard award won this year best collaboration for some music video she was in up against oh, really? the carters and i was like 
who is voting for Jennifer Lopez? <laughs> Nobody. I'd never even heard of this song, let alone the video. There is no way that she got more votes than anybody else in that list. They were like, Jennifer, we were going to give you this award. Come to the show. Yeah. We'll maybe throw another Since award your here. way. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. have this collaboration award. The Carters aren't going to be here anyways. Oh, no. What? What a hot mess of a series. <laughs> I know. And it wasn't even that fun. They had um, Tiffany... Hadish and Kevin Hart host and I watched their opening remarks it was not great it was just like awkward and weird and all over the place and their energy was really weird and I don't think anyone was really having any fun at the show I mean (laughs) it just seemed like a little like a little uneventful and kind of dull and boring and like who likes the VMAs anymore I don't know Maybe the VMAs can go with Nikki and Justin and Katy Perry. They're all yeah. <laughs> past their prime. <laughs> Au revoir. I know. Well, there was some other drama, of course, this week. Um, Kendall Jenner put her foot in her mouth for like the 7,000th time. And if you don't know, she's one of the Kardashians. So I just want to... I don't know how into their world you are. So... <laughs> No, I Just do know FYI. who Kendall Jenner is. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, she's what the did most she say? Look at. So she was being interviewed and was like asked about her work ethic and like how she became a model and whatever. And she was like saying, oh, I've been really selective about what shows I would do. I was never one of those girls who would just like do 30 shows a season or whatever the F those girls do. And people like flipped out because they're like Uh, of course you don't do the shows you don't have to like you just can roll in do whatever you want and leave you like got in because you're famous and like these women were like um we're like struggling every day to feed ourselves to feed our families so yeah we're doing like 80 shows a season and not complaining about it and then the best was like of course, she came out with like this statement and it's just like, it's like I feel for Kendall because she had that whole Pepsi commercial debacle where she honestly yes. probably thought she was changing the world and then everyone just like made fun of her for it and she ended up hiding for like six months and then on the show it was like, oh, I have so much anxiety and like, I I mean, she probably does. Like it would be a rough position and she's clearly so out of touch with normal people that she doesn't understand them and that would be very anxiety inducing. But she was like, she tried to spin it as if the quote was taken out of context. And she was just like, she was like, I was actually so impressed with those women who could work so much. <laughs> yeah. And was like, <laughs> she's like, more power to them, you know? And it's like, okay, Kendall, like, you're yeah. still just embarrassing yourself. So she'll probably go into hiding again. And <laughs> we'll see it play out on the next season of the Kardashians. Yes. Well, they need to keep these things going, or otherwise no one will yeah. watch the show. I know. It's there a vast conspiracy. <laughs> I'm I'm always intrigued as to like what is real, what was planned. Like do, yeah. when she when people when they say things like that, do they know that people are gonna pick up on it right away? Or is it really just a freak accident that all of these things happen? The Kardashians are forever interesting to me. I Someday know. in the distant future when they're all old and not popular anymore i would love to like meet one at a nursing home and be like okay (laughs) so tell me exactly like how all of this stuff went down because i need to know the inside dirty details i know it would be great we just need like a real tell-all moment from one of them i'm hoping courtney isn't faking it when she says she's over them and she just like leaves her family and just writes this book about how the dark underside of running this reality tv (laughs) empire so 
fingers crossed that's a serious falling out i guess <laughs> yes yeah yes i want an omarosa style memoir yeah. <laughs> from courtney kardashian i would 100 exactly. read that just a bunch of leak tapes for sure yeah 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 <laughs> listen behind the scenes yeah. i had a microphone stashed in my bra while kim and chris were talking yeah <laughs> Do you have anything else? I know you're... I have one more thing, which isn't really particularly news in any way, shape, or form, but I wanted to complain about this again, so I figured I'd bring it up. I happened to be reading an article about Bradley Cooper, (laughs) and... Oh my gosh. And did you know that he went through a year of vocal coaching exercise (laughs) on a daily basis to try to lower his voice for this role in A Star is Born? Isn't that ridiculous? You've seen those commercials. Dedication. That is, yeah, but that that voice that whatever he's doing is not a year's worth of vocal coaching. That is like, well, hello there, I'm Bradley Cooper. I mean, it, it's like a bad, like fair, uh, hastily thrown together southern <laughs> accent. We don't really get to hear him sing in the mo- in the trailer yet, though, do we? I feel like yes, he sings. I guess. In the trailer. Oh yeah, you do have a little bit. I know, but it's like at least he's trying. You know, instead of rolling up like Pierce Brosnan and Mamma Mia or <laughs> Russell Crowe in Les Mis and just oh. like struggling through it. So maybe you know, maybe he's put in the time, and it won't be as painful as it could have been. Just think of that. I mean, <laughs> I think it's going to be pretty painful. The I have had to see... Also, they play that trailer before every friggin' movie. Like, there is not a movie I have seen in the last two months that has not had that trailer. I don't... Yeah. Like, even movies that you think this has absolutely nothing to do with the same audience, they're still playing it. I think I saw that in front of Sorry to Bother You, which is ridiculous. Yeah. But the moment where Bradley Cooper's in the car and he goes, hey, and... Yeah. Lady Gaga turns around and he he says, I just wanted to take another look at you. I'm always yeah. like, what is this? Who wrote this movie? <laughs> this is a disaster. Well, uh, the good but, news okay. is it's like I feel like a lot of movies tend to promote for like a year at least. And this one actually comes out fairly soon. So it's yes. not like you have to suffer through this till December or something. So no, that's, only for so another month. Yeah. Yeah, and then we'll get to do then we'll get to do a podcast all about it. (laughs) Uh, uh, Um, I have some bad news too. This is hot off the presses. Um, So Louis C.K. popped Uh, back up on the comedy circuit. (laughs) No, Louis, no, stay down. I know it was so shocking to me. I was like, "There's a name I haven't heard in (laughs) in a few months." And it was like he just showed up unannounced. To, well, he was invited unannounced to this comedy club in New York on Sunday and he performed a set. But he was given like a standing O before he even gave a set, like just for arriving. He was given this standing ovation. Everyone was like so thrilled to have him. And the club owner was like, there can't be a permanent life sentence on someone who does something wrong. And I'm like, well, <laughs> it's been 10 <laughs> months. <laughs> Yes. Like maybe just a little more time. Like, you know, it's like he did something pretty gross and creepy and a huge, like a huge wrong. And you're inviting him back into the same circle to engage with the same people. And it just seems a little too soon for my taste, I think. But I don't know. He's back. I mean, it's what we expected, right? Yeah. I do think that this is an interesting dynamic. You have all, I mean, there's, 
dozens upon dozens of these disgraced Me Too people who are just mm-hmm. horrible human beings. And mm-hmm. you have to know that like their livelihood comes from whatever their profession was. They're going right. to come crawling back at some point and be like, I'm really sorry. Like, I won't yeah. do it again. <laughs> and they might not do it again. But at the right. same time, it's like that is sexual assault or harassment yeah. what louis ck did it wasn't like he made a comment about somebody like right. he was jerking off in front of people i mean yeah. that's disgusting like if you do that you should not get your job back you know if i went <laughs> right. into work tomorrow and did that to somebody <laughs> 10 months from now i wouldn't be like hey guys remember me <laughs> yeah. i'm back they'd be like no you're disgusting you're gone forever yeah so i exactly. don't understand what this like dynamic is if he needs money like you know go work <laughs> at some fast food place i'm sure that they would hire you yeah and i mean i looked it up like he still has a net worth of many millions of dollars like and i'm sure in it once you reach a level of fame and money like that you're still going to be making money just based on investments and whatever else your your accountants have hopefully set up for you so it's like i don't feel bad for him you know i'm not like oh he needs a job like he doesn't and that's like he hasn't someone on Twitter was like he paid his time and I'm like what are you talking about he was like hanging out at his million dollar mansion like chilling for 10 months like he wasn't suffering per se in like a truly like hard sense of the word sure he was like blacklisted but it only lasted 10 months you know it's like you couldn't even go a full year (laughs) before like making an apology and like proving you were a changed man he just pops up like a like a disease (laughs) Yes. And he, he did something terrible. He deserves to be punished for it. Oh, I don't so understand it all. Ugh, so gross. gross. I mean, yeah, he's he has loads of money. He was popular for like a good decade. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he did not have his time in the sun. There are right. millions of people, billions of people in this world who are not as popular as Louis C.K. is for as long as he is. Like right. he has had a good run. Just <laughs> yeah. take what you've got Just and go away. Out. Do not reappear. <laughs> yes. Like this is this is the end for you. This is what you get for jerking off in front of helpless interns. Yes. Thank you. Oh, woke mm. gentleman. <laughs> yes. I well I try. I try. <laughs> I know it was a bad bit of news today, but I think the uproar against it is maybe hopeful that he'll go back into his hole. And this was just a test run that failed and and we won't see him again for hopefully a little longer than 10 more months. But if he feels like he isn't able to do stand up comedy and he really wants to get back into it, he can set up a club where (laughs) he performs for Kevin Spacey and Matt Lauer and Bill Cosby and all of the other creeps, you know, they can just all hang out together. Yeah. Ben Affleck can get there after he gets out of uh, rehab. (laughs) With his back tattoo. Yeah. Just a good club of failed losers. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Uh, uh, what a good week so many good things to talk about <laughs> i know do you have anything else because i don't well i did have to point out this is some bad news netflix is testing ads i don't know if you've heard of this oh. they've started to prom- they've started to roll out this beta phase where they want to put ads for their netflix originals during people's binge watching so in the middle of episodes at the end at the beginning they want to just like have a pop-up that's like oh you should check out orange is the new black have you thought of watching insatiable add it to your list now and so people are pretty upset because it's like netflix is the one place you go and there's no commercials you know (laughs) 
So yeah. we'll see. They say they're testing it to see if it's something that would help members discover stories they'll enjoy. So I don't know why they'd need it necessarily because it's like they don't need the... We pay for the service. So it's not like they need the money from... And it's not they're getting paid... It's not like they're getting paid for these advertisements. It's just their own advertisements. So it's sort of a weird move for them right. to make. Yeah. Like maybe are they trying to play like a long con and thinking we're going to sneak these right. ads in first and then maybe we'll sub some of those out with ads I for know. like cereal. Ugh. But yeah, that does seem really strange. And also like when you go to Netflix on the homepage, their stuff is heavily featured. I, I mean, know. <laughs> there's always some preview that's going before you even oh, start. I hate anything. that. Yeah. They've and started granted, this like auto scroll down. Yeah. yeah. I feel like whenever I get on there, I'm like, quick scroll down before I they know. start. <laughs> like, like, don't touch anything. <laughs> yeah. Playing a commercial for a uh, setup or whatever that was yeah. with Lucy Liu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. So times are changing and we'll just have to change with them, you know? I don't I don't know. Ne- this doesn't seem to be making money for Netflix, so I'm confused at why they're doing it. They know they're right. going to make people angry. I know. But so we'll see. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to 2018. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Bad news all around. Ugh. But the good news is Crazy Rich Asians is doing phenomenally, and I'm so happy about it. Yes. So walk walk me through your interactions with Crazy Rich Asians so far because you have seen this more than once, yes? <laughs> yeah. So I, I've i been excited for this. I've never read the book. I didn't even hear about it. But when the trailer hit, I was like, oh, another rom-com that's not going to actually like work for me. But I was really excited as I started to like see more and like read more. And I thought it was really interesting what they'd done. And so I went in opening weekend of course and I like loved it so much I just left the theater so like happy and uplifted and energized and it was just so fun and then you were out of town so I was worried we wouldn't be able to do an episode on it and so when I was like texting you to figure out when you'd be back I was like well (laughs) since nothing else has happened and so then I went to refresh my memory of course because I take this podcast very seriously so I had to you know and I went last I went last night and it was so crazy because the theater it's like a Monday night two weekends after it opened and my theater was still full and I was like oh yes this is what I love to see so I think it speaks to like how great the movie's been it still has this like word of mouth power that's getting people to go to the theater Oh, yeah. In a huge way. Mm-hmm. I was looking at the box office numbers for this, and it has already made $83 million yes. off of a $30 million budget, which is amazing. Yes. It will de- Especially for this late in August, like usually this is kind of a dead zone. So it's great that this did really well, and it doesn't have much competition, which is also fantastic. But what is amazing about this is that from its first week in the box office to its second weekend, it only had a 6% drop off. I know. Most movies have like a 50% drop off, if not that, because so many people go see it the first weekend. And then like anybody who has a vested interest sees it the first weekend. And then the later weekends are you just have kind of like random people like, hey, Mm -hmm. what's showing? Oh, I thought I wanted to watch that. Oh, I've heard good things. But it's very rare that you have almost the same amount of people seeing it the second weekend as the first weekend. And I think that's especially incredible given how well it did the first weekend. It wasn't like the first weekend it like came out 
out and nobody knew about it and nobody saw it. And then everyone just went and saw it later weekends because of word of mouth, like something like eighth grade. This did well the first weekend and did just as well the second, (laughs) which is incredible. I know. And I don't think it's necessarily slowing down. Like even now, like I still, I mean, I'm still like telling everyone they need to see it. Everyone's like, yeah, I definitely want to. And it's like exciting to see it do so well, especially because actually like Netflix tried to option it. And they like offered a huge sum of money and they had to like decide whether to go with like this much smaller deal with Warner Brothers or to just give it to Netflix for this huge amount. The writer was like, I could literally retire off of it. And they decided to just go with Warner Brothers because they wanted to test it. They wanted to see, they wanted to like prove a point and like have the big red carpet moment, the big weekend. And they just like put all their chips on the table and were like, we're going to give this the Hollywood treatment. And, and it just paid off in such a huge way. So it's exciting. Yeah. And of course, the headline story for this movie is that this is the first movie with an all Asian cast. since that's been a major motion picture in the United States since 1993 (laughs) when the Joy Luck Club came out, which is insanity when you think about it. Like, how have we gone over 20 years without a movie with Asian leads? Like, that's crazy. It's so embarrassing. I saw the statistic that in 2017 of the top 100 performing box office movies, only 5% of the characters in all those movies were Asian and only like 3% of that 5% were leads in a way. So it's just like, it's just like, you know, Hollywood needed this slap in the face because it's like, obviously these movies can do well. They're, they're people, you know, they can lead movies just as well as the next Scarlett Johansson can, you know? Right. Right. So it's exciting. Yeah. It's, I have a friend who I saw post something on Instagram that was like, it's a, she's Asian. And she was like, it's a great time to be an Asian between this. And then also to all the boys I've loved before just came (laughs) out, which has an Asian lead. And then also searching it just come out, came out and it's doing so well. And John Cho is the lead of that. So yeah, it's, it proves a point which I don't understand why people did not grasp earlier that (laughs) watching any human on a movie (laughs) is like has the same quality you know just because someone is Asian or black or Hispanic doesn't mean that I'm like ah like I don't I can't like like, relate to this person in a movie it's it's utterly insane I mean this is basically the same thing that happened with Black Panther when that came out and did so well and everyone was like wow white people will go see movies that black people are in. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah, Because they're humans. Like (laughs) everybody can relate to other humans feeling other human emotions. Yeah and that's it's like crazy too because you have like like there's this this level of American exceptionalism where it's like oh like we're the ones that matter but if you look at the Asian markets or any other market they've been enjoying white people movies for so long that you should be able to fathom the idea of turning the table and enjoying an Asian movie. You know what I mean? It's like, we just don't think about the fact that, you know, Jurassic world took over the box office worldwide, even beyond the white audience that could relate possibly better to Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard. And it's like, no, like a good movie is a good movie and a good actor is a good actor. So it's just like, let's, let's just slow down on this. Like, race race talk about how oh well am i gonna get it is it like for me you know because oh yeah (laughs) i I had a lot of people i have an asian friend who was getting so frustrated because all her white friends were like so 
will I get this movie? And it's like, yeah, it's a rom-com. It's like really yeah. straightforward, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's a, uh. it's an important reminder, but it's sad, it's sad that we needed that. So, Well, and I was reading online in preparation for the podcast. And apparently when they were originally trying to option the book into a movie, the movie producers wanted to make Rachel, who is Constance Wu's character, white. They were like, oh, this will be a better, like more people will go see it if it's a white person like, who's meeting Can we get an Scarlett Johansson? In Singapore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no. <laughs> I know this is not how the story was meant to be like just let it like let it be as it is people loved the book not mm-hmm. just Asian people I know and it was like it was a huge like journey to make this movie I was reading all about it and it's like even from yeah like Kevin Kwan the author of the novel he was like insistent that it go to companies with like Asian ties and um so he finally like went with um this color force production company who agreed to find match it with this ivanhoe pictures from singapore and he ended up optioning his book this bestseller for one dollar and he did it so that he could remain to remain creatively involved and so he's just like it was like worth it to him and obviously there were agreements in place that once it makes amounts of money he gets parts of that too so it's not like he's only gonna see a dollar from this but right oh yeah he's sold the original the original agreement to move forward for a dollar and he's been involved ever since and was a huge part in like getting John Chu on board which I think was such an interesting directorial choice just because if you look at his past movies they're not necessarily in the same wheelhouse as Crazy Rich Asians um nor are they particularly good either (laughs) I know that's the other thing I mean he did like now you see me too a couple Uh, of the old step ups yeah (laughs) it's been very like action oriented and and like I think what was interesting was he realized like he was talking about how he decided he wanted to tell stories that mattered instead of just churning out these these like movies that had nothing to do with him and he had no vested interest in. And so he was really eager to find like an Asian story. And when he read the script, he like presented his life story to, to Kevin and to the producers to be like, I need to be a part of this. And it's like interesting because I think a lot of the actors and people involved in this film had similar stories where they were like, this is important to me. And I think that's like, it shows in the quality that they gave this work, you know? Oh, yeah, 100%. And as much as Now You See Me Too and Gem and the Holograms really carry <laughs> oh, yeah. a lot of emotional resonance, this, I think, maybe has slightly more. Yeah, he had a little more skin in the game with this one, probably. Right. And I think it's like, even the actresses, they tried to get on board. Like, originally, Constance Wu had to turn it down because of Fresh Off the Boat scheduling her TV show. Yes. And then she, like, wrote this letter on a plane once to one day to chew and was like i understand i don't want to like ask you to change your schedule for me but honestly like i want to ask you to change your schedule for me because this matters so much and Mm -hmm. so they pushed back production for like five months i think to accommodate her schedule and then of course they wanted to get um michelle yo yes um, from crouching Crouching Tiger. tiger yeah and she was like well I really am uncomfortable with like the stereotype of the tiger mom. So you have to like really round out this character. And so that's when they brought on like the Malaysian because they originally had the screenwriter for the proposal, the Ryan Reynolds movie. 
Mm-hmm. And then they brought on this Malaysian writer, Adele Lim, to add more of the cultural and, you know, specificity and stuff. And so that that's when Michelle finally got on board and was like, OK. And she plays Eleanor and she's just so fierce in it. I love it so much. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She, she does a really nice job of having this stern shell and she really carries a lot of power but mm-hmm. at the same time there's vulnerabilities there and especially at the end where you have that mahjong scene you yeah. can just tell that there is so much heart and soul to this character that i don't think you would have gotten if it if it had if you hadn't had that like specificity there i right. think you could have easily gotten a very stereotypical character but hers feels like a real person even i really loved in the last scene of the movie how mm-hmm. when there's this engagement party i think in a lesser film you know she would have come up and given them this right. hug and it would have been this whole like oh i've changed now yeah. i know that you know, I accept you into the family. <laughs> and she just kind of gives Rachel this like nod from across the room yeah. that says so much. It says like, I respect you for what you have done. I might not be 100% happy like with you. this decision, yeah. but I understand that you are a good person and that you are what will make my son happy, which I think is a really cool I know, way to and I think end that, that like, relationship. Yeah. And it like touches on what I loved most about the movie is like, for so long, the rom-com genre has really struggled, I think, with this like this like albatross weight around its neck where it felt like it had to be exactly what it's been for so long. And so it just became these stereotypes. It just became the same tropes over and over and over. And like this, you, of course, have some of the familiarity and like the sameness you come to expect in a rom-com story. A lot of it feels predictable. But still, this movie consistently surprised me with like the emotional depth they gave these characters because they never they were never playing to type. They were just people who had different personalities, opinions, thoughts, and like reasonings. And they all came across in really like interesting ways. Even the like most inconsequential of the characters, I felt like still had these like these moments where you like understood them as like a real human being rather than just like, oh, here's the crazy sidekick and here's the awkward best friend dude. And here's like the psycho mom and stuff. It just like it felt a lot more realistic than maybe some of the old rom-coms have. Oh, for sure. And I think that a lot of the rom-coms in maybe the past couple of years have tried to get around this by making it more slapsticky or more Ugh, of a yeah. dirty rom-com. And I think <laughs> this realized, oh, you don't have to do that. You can just tell a really good story with really good characters and have romantic elements and have comedic elements, but it doesn't have to be something that's really paint by numbers. It can be yeah. a, its own story and new, but also old in the same ways. Exactly. It's like, oh my gosh, I have been craving a good rom-com because like I grew up loving You've Got Mail and like all these like classics where you just like felt every swell of music and every look across a room. And I've just been so tired of all the Matthew McConaughey messes, the Gerard Ugh. Butler weirdness. Ugh. <laughs> um what's her name in 27 dresses like oh, it's Catherine just like Heigl. yeah it's just like the star it's just of about so... 40 failed rom-coms <laughs> yeah they're just so painful for whatever reason and it's like i think in recent years the only like romantic comedies that have worked have been the ones that spoke to this like thirst for something different like you had the big sick and you had love simon this year and it's mm-hmm. like all these so we're sort of like 
paying homage to the rom-com but still giving it its own spin. And so I loved that this like really dedicated itself to being the romantic comedy of woman goes to meet man's family and hijinks ensue and like will true love prevail. But it still managed to do it in a really fresh way. So it was like, you know, it was not just an important film because it starred all Asians. It's like a good movie and it was so fun. Yeah. Well, let's maybe like go over the plot really quick and just kind of dive into that. So we start with this cold open of that's back, what, in the 80s, I think. Mm -hmm. And it really sets up the story inside the larger world because Mm -hmm. Michelle Yeoh's character, Eleanor, goes to this hotel. It's late at night. It's raining. She is trying to check into a room with her two kids and I think maybe like a nanny is with them. Anyways, it's, it's one of four... the aunties. Oh, it's one of the aunties. So it's mm-hmm. four um Asian people. There's a there's a you know couple white desk attendants and they don't want to let them in. And then Eleanor calls the owner of the hotel who is actually selling the hotel to her. Mm-hmm. So she will be the new owner. And then kind of uh, you know, the owner comes down and they shame the, <laughs> the racist workers yeah. who are there. Um, but it just kind of sets up this whole world of like, we are going to be inside this rich Asian culture. But for as lavish as that is, those people are still struggling against a larger mm-hmm. society that may not accept them right away. Right. And it does a good job of like giving Michelle Yeoh's character, Eleanor, like a humanizing moment where you're like, She's had it rough, you know. She's not just like this privileged, pretty woman who's mad about her boyfriend's, you know, choice of girlfriend. It's like you're immediately sympathizing with her, which I think helps you sympathize with her throughout the rest of the film, even when she's being sort of this really opinionated mother figure who's too protective. Yes. Yeah. So then we get into the main part of the movie, which is basically that Henry Golding's character, Nick Young, is a super rich (laughs) heir to this huge family fortune uh, from his like wealthy family in Singapore. He's in New York. He's dating Rachel Chu, played by Constance Wong, who does not realize that he is rich. But he is going home to Singapore for his best friend's wedding. Mm -hmm. He's going to bring Rachel with him. And she is going to realize, oh, wait, he's loaded and also like (laughs) a celebrity in Singapore. She's not ready for it. I know. I like I loved this whole opening sequence. I love Constance Wu. I think she's so charming. And like, I think she does a great job of playing against this really handsome, like, charming debonair henry um golding and i think the opening sequence is like this rapid fire scene setting i mean you get to see like how the rumor spreads of an asian sees nick young with rachel sends the picture through like a series of texts that go through the asian network until it reaches her his mom all the way in singapore you just feel so energized in this movie like everything moves really like kinetic all the like scenes are shot in really interesting ways and I think it's because he has this like background in action films and so it's not so much and musicals yeah and so it's like a lot more big picture and like interesting framing and there's always something going on in the background that makes it like really engaging to watch instead of like 
soft tones and like longing looks and close up of faces and what you usually get in like romance movies. And mm-hmm. so like already off the bat, you're just like jazzed to be there. And then they get to the airport and they're swept away into first class. And you're just like, you're just like shocked by the amount of money and fortune being displayed across the scene. And it's just like, oh, I've never wanted to fly first class so badly, you know? Yes, yes. <laughs> and I found this movie more fun than funny. I didn't, there weren't mm-hmm. places where I was really laughing out loud. But you can tell that somebody from a more musical, upbeat filming background is making this it's all bright colors mm-hmm. the costumes are fun the music which are mostly mandarin covers of pop songs mm-hmm. are, are just laced throughout so it good. there's this kind of like map motif that they keep playing with with these like bright color maps as they zoom mm-hmm. in and out to show where in the world they are at yeah. any given moment and the movie just has so much energy from the beginning it's not yeah. a slow build up it's not a lot of like boring scenes like you get to singapore and the rich people and their lavish lifestyles within like 10 minutes the movie it <laughs> yes. is not it does not take long to get there yeah and usually there's so much like talking in romantic comedies where they're like how could you do this to me and like i'm so upset and they need to take these moments to like really connect or something but here it's like they've established nick and rachel as a very solid couple very believable couple you like have no you have no problem like rooting for them immediately because they're just so like natural together and i love like the scene where she confronts him when they're in first class and she's like wait a second why didn't you tell me you're a freaking like zillionaire because it didn't feel like she was curious about it more than hurt by it and i think yes that would be a natural thing is you're like wait a second i'm like in this crazy place i never thought i'd be i'm like having the best plane trip of my life so i can't be like mad about it but i am like interested in why this was a secret and i just think it does such a great job of establishing this relationship and then allowing him to give summary without it feeling like a tired monologue you know what i mean right he zips through his family tree by like these quick vignettes that show each of his cousins like in their lives in singapore so you get a sense of these characters instantly and there's not so much talking to slow it down yes i will say that I really liked this movie. I have a couple of critiques of it. And I think (laughs) that one of them comes here as we move into this second and probably the largest portion of the movie, Mm -hmm. which is Rachel just like meeting these various family members. Some of them are sort of out to get her because she's poor and she's uh, an American and they don't think that she understands what it takes to be in a family like theirs. And Mm -hmm. so they want, so they're trying to sabotage her and then others people that they're that she's coming in contact with are really kind and nice to her and are trying to you know cheer her Mm -hmm. on but there are so many freaking characters in this movie (laughs) there are no there i mean like in the cast section on the wikipedia page there's like 30 some people and it it is very hard to keep track of all of these various (laughs) different storylines and who is which cousin and who is this and And as you go, I think that somebody should have clipped a couple of those people out of the screenplay and said, like, okay, like, let's limit this because in any movie, (laughs) this is too many characters. Like, it's just a lot. Well, counterpoint is I think that it's sort of the point is like, this is it. 
when you think like, oh, I have a rich family, you kind of just think, oh, mom, dad, kids. But the point is like, this is a rich family in that it spans so many circles of different units that are all like together. And so when Nick Young, this like rich guy who grew up with his grandma, but still had his mom and like whatever, his cousins were living with him too. It's like, he's like, oh, it's a family dinner. Constance Wu's character has like a totally different idea of what that is. And then suddenly she's at this house party that just has a hundred people there. And she's like, wait a second, what's happening? And I think it's like, that just felt more natural to me. It's like, you know, these are big families because they have such a different idea of what like family is. And there's such a sense of loyalty there that even when you hate your cousin, he's still going to be like the gross dude in your wedding party. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I and I liked the the element of it that there are so many people around. But mm-hmm. I think the issue is that there's too many people who have names that you are supposed to kind <laughs> of like remember because they keep doing callbacks to them and they're various funny things. Yeah. Like there's one cousin who's like a movie director who dates this like floozy movie star. There's <laughs> another cousin who is like sort of having has like a wife and three kids that he's like kind of having a spat with. And that's really never developed. There's like (laughs) all of these various different aunts. There's the grandma, there's these other cousins, there's Astrid, there's, um, then there's the whole, uh, Constance Wu has a, college roommate who also yes. lives in Singapore played by Aquafina, and mm-hmm. then she has a whole family of people <laughs> who have all of these various scenes there's just a lot of people to keep track I of know. and I think that it they is. probably could have snipped a couple but but I love the energy of it all I know because it is like it's fun because she's getting ready for dinner she's gonna meet Nick Young's family at dinner but first she goes to meet her college roommate Pecklin. And so she goes to this lavish house and she's like, wow, this is so fancy. But like we as an audience already know that it's like not even close to as fancy as it can get. So it's like funny seeing Pecklin's family and it's kind of like, I don't know, sort of trashy rich, like new money. (laughs) And there's like a lot of, yeah. (laughs) I just, I think that's one of my favorite scenes is when they're all having lunch. And I mean, you have so many people in the room just trying to steal the attention. Like, um, the guy from Community plays the dad. Yeah. And he makes this funny joke about there are starving kids in America. And it's just like, there are some great moments in that scene. But my favorite, and this is just a throwaway, is like, The mom is just like feeding her baby that's off screen like chicken nuggets. Like, I don't know why, but she's just, the camera cuts her and she just has a chicken nugget in her chopsticks and she's just trying to feed this baby this chicken nugget and the baby's like crying and it's just just great. It just like was one of those charming moments I just love to see. As a giant fan of chicken nuggets, I can say that I would be very happy to feed my kids yeah. chicken nuggets with chopsticks. They looked yeah. very delicious. And afterwards, I was like, dang, I kind of want chicken right now, but I also need to go run. So this is a conflict yeah. of interest. Yeah. And that's the dinner. That's the lunch where she realizes like Nick's, Nick's family is a huge deal because this family freaks out that she's not only going to meet them, that she's dating the heir, but they're also she's also part of this huge huge wedding that's like the wedding of the century in Singapore yes and so that's when Constance that's when Rachel gets her makeover where it's like Pecklin helps her like pick out a, an actually useful dress for this event because that's where I started to get annoyed with Nick honestly it's like tell your homegirl how to dress like you can't just have her rolling up looking like a moron you have to be involved here man you know that's where I was like Nick 
you got to step up, you know? That's where I would have yeah. been offended. <laughs> For sure. There's actually, there's two makeover scenes in this mm-hmm. movie. And I, this is another one of my pet peeves in movies, is where you have somebody who is absolutely gorgeous, and you're like, oh, this person needs a makeup makeover. They're hideous. <laughs> they sort of have an aside later about how, like, her skin is bad, or her skin is yeah. dry, or something dry. like that. And that's, yeah. <laughs> that's why they need to make her over. And it's like, okay, if we're going to do a big makeover scene in a movie, it needs to be like the one in Princess Diaries, where there is a considerable difference between the beginning and the end, not just like oh a different dress and your hair is up in a bun now well she needed the help honestly like she didn't have the dress she didn't have the costumes to face off these judgmental aunties judgmental eleanor judgmental ex-girlfriends she needed that that moment and those connections to get that beautiful dress so i was all for that makeover segment i'm a sucker for those but it's true like the idea that they could be like oh you need like eyebrows trimmed and like whatever done with your skin. It's like, no, she just needs a beautiful dress and like someone to do her makeup. So she fits in with this like elitist crowd. <laughs> but it was right. still so fun. <laughs> yes, it was. So there's a couple of different parties. But the next big sequence, I think, is the bachelorette party, oh, which... Yeah. Rachel gets invited to the bride's bachelorette party, despite the fact that she doesn't really know the bride Mm -hmm. very well. And it's at this like private island. There's like a shopping spree involved. (laughs) What else do they do? I can't even remember. They're at the beach. Yeah, they're at the beach. They get the shopping spree and then they get massages. And she's sort of bonded with this woman who's like who who's very nice and like oh wow yeah and then suddenly it starts to get a little a little uncomfortable as you realize she has her own angle yeah and you realize it's an ex-girlfriend of nick's who's basically telling her oh nick was supposed to come home his family his family doesn't even like you how brave of you to be here and like i couldn't do it if if his family was against me actually his mom wanted him to marry me and it's just like you can feel the energy change and it's interesting because it's cut with a scene of Nick admitting to his best friend that he wants to propose to um, his girlfriend and the question of whether or not she could handle it. And so she runs off and then runs into um, his closest cousin, Astrid, who is probably the next most important character after their love story and they have their moment at the bachelor party, bachelorette yes. party. Well, first, Rachel finds a giant <laughs> oh, yeah. dead gutted fish in her bed. <laughs> Pretty dark, yeah. Yes. Although I was really surprised that there wasn't a more, one, a more like fun villain. Because mm-hmm. Eleanor is sort of a villain, but I kind of wanted like a really nasty cousin who was trying to get rid of her. And I right. also wanted more of like a prank, warry kind of like parent trap <laughs> vibe to this section of the movie. Because I feel like if you're trying to get rid of her, like you can do some fun crap there. And they <laughs> and other than this fish scene, they really didn't have much else going on as far as pranks go. That's true. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I can see how it could have been more aggressive but i think the problem is there's so much happening already in the story like you said that it'd be hard to kind of drum that up and i actually liked that the i mean i liked that they didn't go down the oh the ex-girlfriend has it out for her route beyond that scene because i thought she'd kind of come back up and like have this moment where she's like pick me nick and like seduce him or whatever yes i was waiting for that cliche moment and it just she never mattered and i kind of liked that that it was like she was so desperate but she didn't even matter in the end and it's like (laughs) 
get out of here, you know? Right. I think there were a lot of characters like that who didn't matter, though. You could have consolidated a couple of them and made a character who did matter. I think a through line throughout the whole movie is you have these scenes with Astrid, who is Nick's cousin, Mm -hmm. who is very wealthy and married to a businessman. And you realize as the story goes that he's actually cheating on her. And so she is upset with him at the same time that Rachel is upset that, you know, she might not fit in with this family. But I think that this Astrid plot line is sort of strange because it doesn't really tie in with the main plot line at all. And most of Astrid's scenes aren't even with any of the other people in the cast. It's like completely separate. I so know. I was looking online, like, why is this in here? And this is a trilogy <laughs> of a books. Book. And yeah. I guess she plays in a lot more in the later books. So I guess yeah. that's why they're setting her up now. But I felt like her scenes were kind of like strangely intermixed in this movie. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously when you have an adaptation, it's like weird not reading the book, but watching the movie. Because I think Mm -hmm. in the book, she is a much bigger deal, even in the first one. And with a book, you just have more time to like have these side stories. And so I think there is a lot more happening in the book that we're just not getting. But as a movie viewer... I really liked Astrid's story because I think it helped like contextualize and humanize sort of the young family empire in a way that if she'd been totally removed from the story, if like that story of her loss hadn't been a part of this story of Rachel trying to find her place, I think I think it would have struggled more to like give a sense of of worth to like why it's worth Rachel sticking it through, you know? Because it's not like if it was just for Nick, like if it was just for a boy, like it would be harder to like care about why she was putting up with all this crap and why she was willing to like fight so hard for Mm -hmm. these awful people. But seeing that they're not all awful and seeing that there's like still a human element to each of them, it kind of like helped me like enjoy the dynamic more, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it It definitely did humanize the family in a way mm-hmm. that I don't think any of the other characters do. But that's because they spent so much time with her. <laughs> she seemed like a real person where all these other characters yeah. you got like three seconds of and then they were gone. Because yeah. Astrid has her own storyline and like you realize like her husband's cheated on her and then she confronts him. And then you have this moment where he leaves her in the limo right before the wedding and she shows up to the wedding with her ama, the great, the grandma. And it's just like, it was such a sweet and tender moment because it's like, oh, this like family still has each other's backs, even when it's like, it seems like they care more about pretense than they do reality. And so, I don't know. There's right. just those nice little family moments. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so then the next big scene is the wedding. The wedding, mm-hmm. not... Rachel's wedding, which isn't in this movie, but the wedding that they've come to Singapore for. They're, well, no, you know, we um, have to... There's the there's the dumpling making scene, which is in some ways a huge... Oh, was that before the wedding? Yeah, because they go to make dumplings with his whole family, and that's when Eleanor and Rachel have their standoff on the steps oh, in yes. the mansion. And it was just such mm-hmm. a good part of the movie. Oh, I loved it. Because... The first is they're all making dumplings and Rachel's so happy to be there. And she's like, oh, I just love this family. That's so sweet. You guys have this. And she compliments Eleanor's ring. And there's like some tension there she's not tuning into. And Eleanor, with her usual like class, is still very much shading Rachel and her life choices. And and 
highly emphasizing the fact that she doesn't think she fits in. And then they meet on the steps of this <laughs> of his house. And Rachel's still trying to be like winning her over and being like, oh, sorry if I offended you. Like, I didn't mean anything by it. And Eleanor just like <laughs> eviscerates her. And it's just like, Ama didn't even accept me. She never wanted me to marry my husband. And he had to make this ring for me because he couldn't have the family ring. And she's telling this whole story as if she's about to be like, you know what? I don't want to be like that to you. But instead, she just looks at her and is like, I know this much. You will never be enough. It was just like, oh, so brutal, you know? Yes. Yeah, it was. It was. That was like a tough scene to watch. Yeah. And then. And then Rachel goes back to her friends and they're like, no, you can do it. You just have to stand up to her. So she shows up at the wedding with a lot of pluck. She Mm -hmm. kind of does some social maneuvering and uh, sort of looks impressive. And you think, okay, this like they're going to be okay. She's proven that she can stand up to these, you know, tough mothers and she is going to get the man. But no, at the wedding reception, Ama, the grandma, and Eleanor confront her about this like secret history that her Rachel's mother has. How Rachel's yeah. mother isn't actually a single mother because her husband died, but because she cheated on her husband and then ran away with another man and then had to go hide in America. It's yeah. just this whole like crazy it's plot like, line. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know, because again, I was just expecting some silly misunderstanding, which is what you usually get in these rom coms is just some silly thing that could be solved if they just talk to each other. But this is like real dark. Like it's like she finds out for the first time that her mother had lied about her father and had in fact had this affair and that she she was just like blindsided by this all. And a ma who had been friendly towards Rachel since the beginning, who had kind of made her feel like she did have a chance, was suddenly like, you will never belong. You're a monster. I can't believe you tried to lie. If you go with her, Nick, I swear this is over. And it was just like, whoa, like instantly all hope was lost, you know? And it was just like, it was pretty heavy for a for a silly movie, I thought. <laughs> right. And so then Rachel goes back home or goes back to the house that she's staying in, Peeklin's house, and is crying. Her mom actually flies to Singapore to comfort her and tell her yeah. that Henry's really a nice guy and that you should give him a chance anyways. And so <laughs> she goes and meets up with Henry and Henry proposes <laughs> and she turns him down. And this is I when know. we get this amazing mahjong scene which i think is probably the best scene of the movie i don't know if you agree good it is good and i had i had no idea what that game was i've never encountered it but i was still just mesmerized watching these two women duke it out in like such a and they really set it up nicely because she's a game theory professor so you like knew she knew what she was doing but then eleanor is obviously like up to the task and so they're like battling with their words they're battling over this game and it was really powerful because they're having this like conversation where they're both not like willing to budge really and rachel tells eleanor that nick has proposed to me but i turned him down because i i do care about him and i do understand what it takes to be a member of this family and so when he eventually does get (laughs) married and does have kids in the future like i i need you to remember that that is because of me that 
he has happiness because I said no to him. And something that's really interesting is while I was watching this, they're playing this Mahjong game and it's sort of Mm -hmm. like, whatever, I don't, I don't understand these pieces. It doesn't (laughs) matter to me. But as after watching it, I went and read an article about it and the way that the Mahjong pieces are set up and they keep showing them up close. So you Mm -hmm. know that they're important is basically Rachel gets a piece that will let her win if she wants to, but instead of playing it, she discards it. And then Mm. Eleanor picks it up and plays it and wins with that piece. And it's only afterwards. Then Rachel shows Eleanor her Mahjong tiles and Eleanor kind of realizes that, Oh, Rachel let me win. She could have won, but she's letting me win instead. And that's a symbol for what Rachel is doing in life by saying no to Nick and letting Eleanor and Nick find happiness supposedly in the future without her, Mm -hmm. which is, which is so well done. So deft. It was so good. And then it's like she just stalks off and like her mom gets to stare down Eleanor a little bit. And it's like, it's just powerful because, yeah, you don't have to have them explain anymore. You don't have these long monologues about like how much it hurts that she's letting him go. It's just like she just does it. And it's sort of just about her realizing like she's strong enough to, you know. And so then, of course, they like they like cut to the airport and Rachel and her mom are getting on the plane and they're going to leave. And, and Nick shows up and he's running through the, you know, the, the most bowels. rom-com of rom-com moves. <laughs> yeah. He shows up on the plane. Yeah, he's just running. But for once, I believe it. You know, anytime this happens in a movie, I'm like, oh, yeah, like they paid money to get into the airport. And now with Nick, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, I believe yes. it. So, <laughs> so no problem there. But he's running through and he's basically like, It was such an interesting moment because it was still so romantic, but it wasn't like he just talked about how he would have proposed to her. And so it instantly like it took the surprise out of what was happening, like even though we knew what was happening. But it seems like a lot of times they try and like dress it up as in like, I want to tell you why I love you before I ask you to marry me. And instead, he's just like, this is what I wanted to do. And then he's fighting through all these gross people in in the poor side of the plane. And he finally gets to her and he's like, he's like, asked her to marry him. And she she's like i can't and then he just all he does is just reveals the ring box and in it is his mother's ring which was just like i teared up i'm not gonna lie i like literally started crying it was such a sweet moment that i did not see coming this coming from the person who cried (laughs) in a wrinkle in time though so it's it's Maybe not worth as much as our listeners yeah. think it is that she's crying oh, no. in this movie. But it no, it was though. a really great it, it was a really great symbol. And you he didn't need to go on this whole rant about how he loves her because we know that he loves her oh, no. and we know that she loves him. The only thing that's standing in their way is their family. And when you see the ring that's the oh. mom's, you know that the mom has given her blessing. Then you know, okay, this is perfect. It's all going to work out great. And then they go back and they have this big engagement party and it's so much fun. And that's how the movie ends on this great note. And you're so excited for the second one. And I think they set up the second one really well. Yeah, I know. It was such a good finale. It was like, I mean, the song was beautiful and it was just everyone was so happy and there was fireworks and it's just like, it was obviously like ostentatious. It was out there. They were on this like cruise ship in the sky, basically, with like (laughs) synchronized swimmers there to like 
celebrate. It was just like over the top, but it was so sweet and like simple still because there wasn't a lot of talking. There wasn't a lot of explaining. It was like you saw everything you needed to see and now they're just happy and it was wonderful and I loved it. (laughs) So setting up movie two, I feel like there's two big plot lines that are have yet to be revealed. Plot line number one is what the heck is going on with Rachel's mom? She like (laughs) was married to this guy who was really mean. She was having an affair with somebody else. They're both supposedly in China still. That is happening in movie number two. We are going way deep into that. And then there's like a mid credit scene in classic (laughs) Marvel fashion where Astrid who has just kind of got out of this messy marriage, looks over and sees, guess who, but (laughs) Harry Shum Jr. from Glee. So you're like, okay, big name star. Obviously, this person is important. Oh, and he got like he got like top billing in the credits. Oh, yeah. So weird. Yes. He was like like fifth bill. What? (laughs) Yeah. So he's definitely, they were definitely wetting everyone's appetite for him to be the leading man in the next, which I don't know if I totally see yet. I mean, he's still like in high school in my mind because I stopped watching Glee. So guess how old he is? <sighs> probably like, probably some obscene number, like 32 or something. He's like 34. I was oh, really? shocked. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> I thought like, oh, how old is he? Like 22? No, like 34. Yeah. He has aged well, but apparently, I was looking this up online, he is her ex-boyfriend from, like, high school. Yeah. So, and that's apparently enumerated better in the book than it was in the movie, and that there were some scenes with him early on that got cut for whatever reason, so he was just at the end, but... Yeah, that's definitely the romance in movie two, which is why they set up Astrid so much in this one, despite the fact that she had really nothing to do with the plot. Oh, I know. But that scene honestly was one of my favorites when she dresses down her husband because he's like, he's like, it's not just my fault. And she's just like, she has this great line. I just like died over it because she's like, it's not my job to make you feel like a man. I can't make you something you're not. And it was just like, oh. Ugh, sick burn. <laughs> so savage. I loved it. I was like, that is a good line. Oh, I need you to know what my number one. one problem with this movie was, though? And I was thinking about it through th- almost the entire thing. Oh, no. They are casting a movie called Crazy Rich Asians. There is someone <laughs> who was born and bred for this role, who has played this <laughs> role for like six years on television, who deserves a spot in this movie, and she is nowhere to be seen. Do you know who I'm talking about? I'm trying to think. I don't. Who? The heiress to the Tipton Hotel line, <laughs> none other but Brenda Song, London Tipton. Why was she not in this movie? She is is hilarious and so good. She's dating Macaulay Culkin right now. She needs to be in this movie. If she's not in the sequel, I'm going to revolt. I'm sorry. What has she last been in? Um, She was in several episodes of Scandal. She was in The Social Network. (laughs) She is still acting. And she'd be so good. Henry Golding's not even an actor. He's a TV host that they pulled to be in this. Amazing. Brenda Song could easily be a rich Singapore cousin. They had 7,000 of those in this movie. <laughs> You're telling me they couldn't have slotted her in? Yeah. Well, what was interesting is that they did such a wide search to like really bring people out of the woodworks to like prove that there are talented Asian actors out there. And so maybe they needed to give those people a moment to shine instead of, you know, someone who's already made it so far into <laughs> American <laughs> pop culture, you know? <laughs> 
<laughs> they uh, had to give someone else a chance, Matt, obviously. I mean, I loved it. I loved that they actually did that because I remember when... Who directed that stupid Exodus movie that didn't do well? And he was like, uh, he was like, oh, we couldn't cast any Egyptians or people of color because it's like, they just they just don't exist. You know, it's like we can't find those actors. They just they just once there's a good enough Egyptian actor out there, then sure, I'll cast him and not whoever starred in that movie. But it's like, well, no, they do exist. And you just aren't willing to like look for them or like look past like your own circle of well-known actors to like find them because I think Henry Golding did a great job in this movie and he had such a natural energy to it and I'm excited to see what else he starts doing because I mean he has a couple of movies coming out I think yeah yeah he's in something coming out which I now I can't remember what it is but I saw the commercial oh, for it and I was like a oh, simple that's favor him. yes like lively yes yes, yes. and know. Anna Kendrick mm. <laughs> yes. so interesting so good they could have cast Brenda Song in that they could have cast yeah. <laughs> Brenda Song in Exodus as far as I'm concerned she should have been in all these movies so well yeah I know you have your criticism of this movie but I'm curious have you heard any other critiques of this film crazy um, I think most of the critiques have been similar to the things that I have said which is that the movie is really great but there's like one too many characters and that there's like some of the plot lines are sort of yeah like off in the weeds a little bit but I think in general people have really liked it it has like a 90 something on Rotten Tomatoes mm-hmm. they have already signed up a second sequel it's doing gangbusters in the block in the box office like really it's it's a it's a win-win-win and (laughs) and i and i don't think people Mm -hmm. have a lot of critiques for it i know i've heard a few though and it kind of like frustrated me and i think the main one is that oh this doesn't this doesn't show the diversity of singapore and like it's on it doesn't show the like inequality between you know the rich and the poor in singapore and i'm like oh yes it's like that's not really the job of this movie that's like about the crazy rich ones you know what i mean it's like i didn't walk away thinking wow i understand singapore now and i like i've had all my questions about (laughs) these rich asians answered it was just like a movie and i think it's interesting that there is so much weight on movies like this and with black panther any of these movies that were like testing to prove that like white people don't have to be the stars for a movie to work. And it's like, we put all this pressure to be like everything. And I think a lot of people were like, oh, well, this didn't speak to my Asian experience. And it's like, well, you know, the Meg didn't speak to my white experience. And like, Tag didn't speak to, you know, my experience either. But like, movies can exist. And like, the point is, there should be more of them so that there can continue to be like movies that explore, you know, the inequality in Singapore versus <laughs> the Asian experience in Tokyo or whatever it is. So right. it's just like, it seems like a weird critique to give a movie that's doing so well in so many other ways because I don't know. It's like, why spend the energy complaining about what this movie isn't instead of just being like, wow, this is a great rom com that stars an all Asian cast and like take that as a win? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, that is what Twitter is for. Twitter just complains about everything. (laughs) They try to take nice things and drag it through the mud. So if you're on there long enough, you'll see all kinds of horrible, (laughs) you know, takedowns of of the nicest and best people and things in the world. I did have a takeaway from this movie. I am predicting that Singapore is the new (laughs) Iceland 
is the new Bali. I think the number of basic people from the United (laughs) States who end up in Singapore in like 2020 is going to be astronomical. (laughs) I mean, I wanted to go just for the food. It looked so good. Oh, yeah. It was like so fun to see this different world and culture and food and, and clothes and like energies and all this stuff. It was just like so refreshing to walk into a theater and be like, surprised and engaged and interested in what you were seeing and like I'd never considered Singapore before so it is funny that it's like suddenly this like really attractive (laughs) place just because they did such a good job of like highlighting this interesting corner of the world whether or not it was a true depiction of the reality of Singapore for so many people in Singapore but I Still. can't wait for the plethora of Rob taken Shelby Instagram <laughs> pics in Singapore yeah, come like next summer. I know. Yes. I don't think we'll belong. It seems a little bit. I mean, I would want the crazy rich Asian element of that experience. And I don't think we're at the at that level yeah, of enjoying yes. that. <laughs> crazy middle class Asian. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I want to go to the top of the boat, the hotel, but I don't think I'd be invited, you know. Yes, yes. Past like the 12th floor, probably. It was so fun. I think it was just like a refreshing film to see. I didn't have to be like represented on the screen to enjoy this movie. You know what I mean? It's like it was still yeah. a good movie. And that was what 100%. was so great about it. So so you love this movie. Is there something else that you loved or is there something that you hated? <laughs> no, it's it's relevant. It's been mentioned. No one will shut up about it. I did watch To All the Boys I've Ever Loved. And I was excited about this movie. I read the books and didn't really like them, but I thought the movie could do better and it did. And I did love it. So I don't think it's worth talking a lot about because I think Twitter is talking about it enough for everyone and like BuzzFeed is literally posting about it every day in every way. So it's like everyone knows this movie exists and I would just say it's worth checking out. (laughs) Can you give me like the 30 second summary of what it's about? Yeah, so this girl is always in her head about her crushes. So she writes these love letters to them, never intending to send them. Her little sister sends them out. So they get out and all of all the boys like approach her and she decides to start fake dating one to avoid drama with one of the other boys who would have some questions about why she wrote that letter. So they start fake dating and, you know, teenage <laughs> teenage romance starts to <laughs> bloom. So, yeah, it's just a sweet, silly teen romance in the vein of John Hughes, basically. Oh, fun. Yeah. And it's a movie yeah. on Netflix. Yeah, it's a Netflix movie, an hour and a half, pretty painless, and it stars an Asian lead, even though her Asianness really doesn't have anything to do with the film. So a little different than Crazy Rich Asians, but still yes. fun. And the star, yeah. the, the love interest is <laughs> very beautiful. So, <laughs> so he's worth it. <laughs> Uh, he's not a teenager in real life so it's okay that i'm that i'm okay. saying that so <laughs> i mean are teenagers on movies or tv <laughs> yeah. ever teenagers really no. the riverdale cast is like 45 year olds pretending yeah. to be high schoolers <laughs> exactly what about you love it or hate it so i while i was on vacation i had a lot of time to read because we were It was a road trip. And I read Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead, which came out a couple years ago. It won the Pulitzer. It won the National Book Award. um, And I was sort of like, eh, like, I don't know. It's a 
you know, it's about the Underground Railroad. It's a slavery story. I sort of felt like, okay, I've read a lot of these. I'm sure it's good, but it's probably also really depressing. I'm Mm -hmm. not really sure I want to read it. But I decided to read it over this vacation because my mom is also reading it. And it was amazing. It is one of the best books I have read in the last couple of years. It definitely deserves every award that it has received. It is so well written. But the thing that kept resonating for me is just that it's so well plotted. It's such Mm -hmm. an interesting book. It has a great arc. The main character goes through a lot of difficult times and kind of uh, is able to push through through them. And it showed for me... I feel like when you are an English major, like you were, you end up mm-hmm. reading a lot of these like really slow books where like mm-hmm. nothing happens. It's like yeah. it's like 500 pages leading to like a mild affair and that's it. And I thought that this really had a lot of weight to it. It's like heartbreaking and devastating and so painful to read in a lot of points, but I could not put it down. It like the action just keeps moving you forward and it's about a woman who is a slave on a plantation in Georgia and is running away to the north on the Underground Railroad. In this book, though, the Underground Railroad is an actual underground train system. And so she pops up at these various states along the way and interacts with, you know, different people and different kind of cultures and different ways that white people are oppressing these slaves in these different states. And there's kind of like a slave catcher who's after her. So there's this villain who ties through the whole book she has various like kind of accomplices along the way as well who tie in it was just a really artfully done book and there were so many sentences in it where you're just reading and you're like oh oh my gosh like this is (laughs) this is such a beautiful sentence and i love books like that as well so that is nice highly recommend cool i'm excited to check that out i feel like it sounds like uncle's what uncle tom's cabin wanted to be so Yes, it's yes. a little better. <laughs> yes, yeah, not written by like a 50-year-old yeah. white woman. So <laughs> yeah. benefits there as well. That's great. And yeah, and it's only like 200 pages, 250 oh, pages. Wow. It's not super long either. So that is refreshing. It's definitely like a, it is heavy at parts. So do not pick this up <laughs> yeah. as like a fun, it's like a little read. bit. Yeah, a little different than to all the boys I've ever loved. Doesn't yes, fit quite yes, in the probably, same. <laughs> probably. Also very different from Crazy yeah. Rich Asians. So yeah. <laughs> two books for you if you're looking for something like, if you're yeah. looking to be depressed, but also very moved and also very captivated. Read Underground Railroad. Perfect. Look at us. We have such a diverse offering this week. Well, it's called We Have Good Taste, Shelby, yeah. <laughs> which has been established from the beginning. That's you're, why we have a right. podcast. Of course. Everybody else is wrong. We are correct <laughs> in our opinions on things. And yeah. if you think that we're great, you can subscribe, comment, like our stuff. You can follow us on all of our social media platforms. Please rate and comment on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> yeah, we're not begging. We're just asking. So it's like, yeah. do it, don't do it, but definitely do it. <laughs> yeah, but definitely do it. Like if if you want to be my friend in real life, like you should yeah. probably do it or, or I might get mad at you. Exactly. But until next time. Uh, bye, everybody. Yeah, see ya.